Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. All right, give it up for the team, for the band, for leading us. Yeah. And give it up for air conditioning that is on this time that we're in the right. Woo, we fixed it. Yay. If you were here right before camp, we were in this room and man, man, it was warm. It was warm, but it is not anymore. It is nice and cold. All right, hey, we're going we're gonna to be in a new series for the next month or so. You can throw out that graphic. Um, you're just going to have to imagine the lo-fi beats in your mind right now. All right, cool, there it is. Um, we're going to be in the Psalms, and um, open up your Bible to the middle part, which is just like halfway through the book. If you go right to the middle, you'll probably land in the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 1 today. Uh, the reason we're doing this, um, my friend has a really awesome, uh, he, he put it like this, his analogy of the Psalms. He says, the Psalms are like God's divine playlist. And I was like, that is cool. Um, David wrote a lot of Psalms. We also have Psalms from Moses and Samuel and a bunch of other people. Um, Most of them are written by David. And uh, the Psalms are uh, spiritual wisdom and insight into the things of God that were put to music originally. So people for thousands and thousands of years, even before the time of Christ, were singing these songs, professing these songs, using these songs to remind one another of the truth of the gospel and of the coming Messiah. And so many of these psalms perfectly portray what Jesus would come and fulfill. And so um, powerful, powerful 150 chapters, um, hundreds and hundreds of verses that are full of truth. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark spot in your life where things just feel chaotic, things feel um, like they're not going well, and you're just not really sure where to turn. I always say moments like this, turn to Psalms, turn to Psalms like Psalm 40 that say that God is the one who delivers us from the pit. Turn to the Psalms that remind us of what God has done and what Christ has accomplished. Um, These Psalms will guide you and direct you and all of us, all the people of God, through some of the most difficult situations. Um, But these Psalms also remind us of uh, the goodness of God when things are going great. And uh, today we're going to be in the first one, the very first one. So open up to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Six verses, I challenge you to memorize it. If you memorize it next week, I will give you nothing, but I will be proud of you, and that will be the case. No, I'll give you a piece of candy, which we don't definitely give away no matter what. Anyways, uh, what? You can get it. All right. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to read it for us. It says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Try saying that 10 times fast. Seat scoffers. Um, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, 
The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I'm going to start off this sermon with a little bit of a weird rant, but you need to follow along with me. I promise it is going somewhere. It has a purpose, but I'm just going to say it like this. I hate TV advertisements a lot. I hate them so much. Commercials, I hate them. If I'm ever, like, watching something on TV that I didn't record or didn't, like, have streaming, and I have to sit through the commercials, I will mute it because I can't stand them because they're so annoying. You're like, what do you have against TV commercials, right? Does anyone else feel this way? You're like, no, this is just you, man. Okay, some people hate TV. Not just for the fact that I'm not watching whatever I'd like to be watching. There's a reason why I don't like these things. Um, and they're really good. They're really good at marketing towards us. Um, we have companies like Disney World which we like. All right, Disney World's great. We have pictures of Disney World pop up on the screen and these are like little kids are running to Splash Mountain or Space Mountain or would many of the mountains at Disney World, Big Thunder Mountain. There's three. Um, and is there three? There might be four. I don't know. I think it's three. So they're running to one of the various mountains and in the background, the narrator is like Disney World. Do you guys know, do you guys know what they call it? Do you guys know the phrase behind it? Disney World, the happiest place on earth, right? But what they don't show you is the bank account of the person who spent money on the tickets that's like red with negative like dollar signs next to it. It's like, this was a bad idea. Why did you do this, right? Uh, They don't show the blisters on your feet. They don't show when like the six-year-old is just like an inch too short and he's like screaming in line and you're like, happiest place on earth, right? You're like, oh, no, it's very cynical. Um, Nike had an ad a couple years ago where it said, discover your greatness. And it was just kind of like average people. So it was just like kind of people running like a 15 minute mile. And it was like, discover your greatness, right? If that's your greatness, then that's awesome. Visa for a long time, right? The credit card that you take from your mom to go pay for BlackRock um, says it's everywhere that you want to be. And L'Oreal, a makeup company says L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Why do I not like any of these? One, because it puts the you in the center of all of it, right? It's your life. It's your greatness. It's whatever you have inside of you. And also, it's promising you that you will be happier, you will be fitter, you will be more beautiful, you will be great if only you buy this. If only you experience this for a small price of $9,000 when you bring your family to the happiest place on earth, right? That's what advertisements are promising. Do you guys remember the co- like COVID announcements or like, sorry, COVID uh, commercials? This was like the masterclass of just like completely overzealous, like emotional commercials. Do you, you guys remember? Think back with me. You'd be like watching TV and then the TV would go black and go to the next commercial. And it was like somebody standing inside, like looking through a window and the rain would be coming down. And there'd be like somebody walking all by themselves and like waving to the person inside and the person inside would be like waving back, but they're like kind of sad. And you're just like, oh, I feel this right now, man. What's going on? And it's like the announcer's like, we know these are hard times. And like the piano's playing. It's like, da, da, da. And um, the people are all alone, right? There's no one else in the, in the shot. It's just like people and they're like, we know that these are hard times, but we want to be here for your family. That's why. And it's just like, complete silence. Olive Garden 
is now offering new deals on takeout. And you're like, whoa, that was an Olive Garden commercial? Like, do you guys remember this? Stuff like, that's just like an illustration. And you're like, man, life is hard. But you know what could make life better? Unlimited breadsticks from Olive Garden to go. Yeah, that'll make me happy. And it'll make me fat, right? Um, but happy. So like, what do you do with the unlimited breadsticks when, you're, breadsticks when you're out? Like, do you just go back to the store and you're like, I need, I need more. Did anyone try this? Do that? Yeah, just say it. So all these things, they promise us falsely that they're the solution to our deepest, darkest problems, our loneliness, our sadness, when we just kind of feel bummed out. If only you can buy this thing, look better, be happier, be more accepted. And all of these things, we kind of beg the question when we make fun of them a little bit. How can we actually have a blessed life? How can we actually have a life that will satisfy us? How can we actually live life to the fullest? Where can we find the path to true life? And what scripture does here in Psalm chapter 1, it sets out before us two paths. It's very, very, there's no nuance here. It's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked towards by the end of it. The way of the blessed life and the way of somebody who is not going to prosper. The way of true happiness, the way of true blessings, the way of eternal life, and the way of eternal death or eternal torment. And the scripture perfectly illustrates this in a poetic way in these six verses. How can we find the true meaning to a blessed life? What is the true way to happiness? The psalm answers it with us. And this is like a breath of fresh air, like when you're feeling suffocated, God's words lead us to truth. In a world that is drowning us out with advertisements and noise, selling us lies, God's word offers us peace. God's word offers us truth. God's word never fails. First two verses say this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, and on this law, he meditates day and night. First thing we see here as the psalmist is comparing two things, we see wisdom versus foolishness. Wisdom versus foolishness. These first two verses warn us of the dangers of drifting from God's people and the people of God into the congregation of fools and foolishness. It says that the wise person does not identify with those people around them that is scoffing at the things of God. Um, to scoff is to make fun of or reject or to push out entirely. And the author here says, blessed is the person who doesn't even walk into that congregation, who doesn't, look at what happens. It says, uh, the person that doesn't walk into the council, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. They're warning us against a perpetual lifestyle that will lead us away from God. First, it, it, it talks about walking into the council, right, by being around then standing, and then sitting. So this is kind of a downward trajectory being in, in, like introduced and integrated into the congregation of the fools. And you might think right now, like a passages like Luke 15, 2, where the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of hanging out with sinners, and Jesus is just like, yeah, right? Like, that's what I do. Like, 
uh, tax collectors, prostitutes, like Jesus is in, these, uh, in the congregation of sinners, so to speak, right? But Jesus never became a sinner. That's the key difference here. We know that Jesus, of course, identified with sinners, and he, was, um, he came to uh, save sinners. He was a friend of sinners. That title is used as kind of this, like, jab at Jesus, but it's almost in Scripture kind of used as a title of, of like, something that's awesome, like Jesus, friend of sinners, um, the difference here is Jesus was in the congregation of sinners without ever sinning. And that's very hard for you and I to do as sinful people. This passage isn't saying don't ever be around someone who isn't a Christian. Like don't ever talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord yet. That's not what this is saying. It's saying do not become like those people. Don't start sounding like people who don't know God. Don't start looking like people who don't know God. Don't start sitting or dwelling or becoming like people who don't know God. And the question is this, who are you becoming and who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you becoming? Who influences you the most in your life right now? Who influences you the most in your life? You may not know it. You may have to think about it for a little bit, but I could tell you exactly who influences you the most. The people you spend the most time with. The people you give the most trust to. The people that you consider your best friends. There's this old saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I believe that 100%. Who's influencing you the most? Whose voice is the loudest in your ear? Who among your friends or the people around you are you vying and hoping for their approval and their attention? Because that's the person that you are going to become. That's the person you're going to start looking like, sounding like, and acting like. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. So who influences you the most? You will become who you hang out with. I don't know if you've ever, like, it's a very dramatic thing when you're in high school or middle school. I don't know if you've ever changed lunch tables, like, in the middle of the school year. It was, like, a big deal. At least it was for me. I went to a smaller school, I guess. And it's like, now I want to sit with them this time. It's like, whoa, Keegan's trying to sit with those guys now? He's like trying to move up in the lunchroom, right? And they're like, go away, Keegan, we don't like you. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Whoa, I, who's a joke? Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, like you've tried to like move lunch tables and there's like a new culture, a new language, right? What happens is you will slowly become like the people that you hang out with. Maybe you start to like dress like them a little bit more to try and fit in. Maybe you like say a few things that you didn't used to say because you're trying to feel accepted and all of a sudden you're going to parties you didn't know you would go to, but like at least you have the approval of these people now, right? And the psalmist says, blessed is the man or woman, the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But where is their delight? Where is the thing that is driving and guiding and directing their life? Whose approval are they seeking? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's wisdom versus foolishness. God's word offers us wisdom. And the way of the world will only offer us foolishness. There will only become, you will only become more foolish when you hang out with fools. So the scripture isn't saying don't ever hang out with people who aren't Christians. Don't ever try to win people for Christ. It's not what it's saying. It is saying 
Watch closely who is influencing you the most. Watch closely with who you are becoming. This is the importance of intentional discipleship. In contrast to what the world is offering us, we have to recognize what we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, finding someone who's older, like Hebrews chapter 12 taught us this, imitate their faith, imitate their way of life, observe how their life is going, observe how they have proven their faith to be genuine. That's the people that you want to hang out with, people who also love God's word, people who also are meditating on his things, and you will become more like them 100%. The road is wide that leads to destruction. (laughs) You might be going with the crowd, but the crowd's not going anywhere good. The crowd's not going anywhere valuable. The crowd's not going anywhere that you want to be. And yes, it might be lonely on the road to righteousness. It might be lonely on the road to meditate on God's word. But it's the way that leads to life as opposed to death. So, kind of worth it. We'll get to there at the end. His delight is on the law of the Lord. Um, The Bible's not a burden. It should be our delight. Why? Because we love the author. Why? Because the author of this book promised us that he will be with us and he will help us understand what he wrote. Uh, Because the author of the Bible promises that when we find it, we find blessings and life eternal. Um, It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's something that we get to experience. Uh, To delight in the law of the 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 Lord is to delight in the things that matter most. And sometimes we walk around with our personal time in Scripture. We think of it as a chore, something I have to do. Burden, something I want to do, but I feel like I can't do it. But what about delight? What about enjoying time with God? You spend most time with what you love. That's just the reality. You spend the most time in your life with what you love and with what you care about. You don't have to convince yourself to, like, you're like, oh, man, I really want to hang out with my friends today because I love them and I want to hang out with them and we're going to go get pizza and go see a movie. I just got to, like, rile myself up to go. No, right? You're pumped to do that. Why? Because you love it. Um, When the Bible is our primary love and the Lord is the one who's guiding our affections for him, um, our time in scripture isn't a burden, it is a delight. It is something that we should wake up and look forward to diving into. It should be something that we should be looking forward to spending time with, not because we want to check it off our good Christian to-do list, but because we get to know the author a little bit better every single day. Because we get to know God himself a little bit more because he reveals himself through these pages. And the wise person, the wise man or woman, is not following the crowd, but they're following God's law. And that is an encouragement, a countercultural encouragement to a generation being us who are so obsessed with the approval of other people, who are so obsessed with being accepted and welcome and fit in. Stand out a little bit. Don't be afraid, because the things of God look foolish to the fool. I wouldn't call someone foolish, right? Don't do that. That's kind of mean. But the things of God look foolish to the real fool, to the one who would mock your understanding of Scripture or would say, why would you go to youth group on Wednesday when you could hang out with us? Standing up in truth, you will look foolish, but it is the way that leads to life. Wisdom versus foolishness. Scripture talks about itself a lot. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jeremiah 15, actually, the Bible um, says that God's word, 
is like food when we're starving. It says, your words were found and I ate them. Jeremiah 15 says this. Scripture is the quiet, still, small voice echoing in our head when the noise of the world is deafening. Isaiah 30, 22 says, and your ears shall hear a word beyond what you saying, uh, a word beyond you saying, this is the way, walk in it. In Matthew 7, Jesus says the words of God, when we listen to them and follow them, are like a foundation on a house that will not fail. It's a foundation when everything seems to be crumbling. Why can these words bring us fruit and joy? Because these words bring us closer to our Father. Our proximity to Scripture and meditation on it keeps us away from sinfulness and foolishness. And the author doesn't stop there. More blessings are coming for the person who's obsessed and loving God's law. It says this in verses 3 and 4. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. That's a really important verse. Highlight it. Look for it. And its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away got two words for you here. We see the battle again, not this time between wisdom and foolishness, but fruitfulness versus futility. Futility means like nothing. It's futile. Like it's nothing's going to become of it. It's just going to fail and it's going to be a big old L, right? Um, Fruitfulness versus futility. These two verses describe again two realities, the way of the righteous and the way of the foolish or the wicked and their underlying realities. Um, I had a conversation once with somebody who I love dearly. They're older than me. And, uh, man, I wish I had a verse like this just ready to go because what they said was so hilarious, and I just I didn't quite know how to respond at the time. Uh, it was a couple years ago, and someone, again, who I respect, who I love, who is, um, uh, has a newer relationship with Jesus. And, and they said this thing to me that, again, at the time, I didn't really know how to respond to it. I would, I would now after reading this. And they're like, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm like, yes, I agree. That is awesome. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Isn't the whole point of the Bible like salvation in Jesus? I'm like, well, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm good. I don't need to read the Bible. And I'm like, no, right? It's just like, (laughs) and he's like, but it's all about Jesus. I'm like, yes. And he's like, so I got it. Like, he's almost like mission accomplished. Like, I understood. I understood and I need Jesus. And at the time I was just like, whoa, what? Um, but what would you say to someone like that? And I think that we're convinced that that can be the reality sometimes, right? Like, I got a relationship with Jesus. I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. That's awesome. The Bible's long and confusing, and I'd rather, like, watch TV. Um, and I guess the question is, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Do you want to be more like Jesus every day? Do you want to have more blessings from God? Do you want to look more like Jesus and sound more like Jesus? Do you want to be more unshakable and immovable when the storms of this life seem to rally behind you? Do you want to be more firm in your faith when the things of this earth come tumbling towards you like a train that is not stopping anytime soon? Do you want to be unshakable and unmovable in those moments? And the answer should be yes, How can we be more secure in our relationship 
with God? How can I be more, um, how can I have a joy that surpasses all understanding when things in this life happen, when I lose someone that I love, when I face depression, when I face anxiety? How can I be more secure in my foundation of Christ? He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The one who meditates on God's word, because this is right after verse 2, the one that consistently returns to the guidance of the word of God, they're not moving. They're not going anywhere. God's going to continue to bless them with fruitfulness in their lives. And when the storms of this life come, I'm good, man. I've got what I need. A tree planted by water, that illustration kind of like falls flat on people who live in Washington, right? But this would have been uh, a, a Middle Eastern audience where trees and streams of water were like kind of scarce. So imagine if we lived in like Phoenix. Oh, that would be horrible. But imagine if we did, this verse would stand out a little bit more. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Its leaves aren't withering and it will bear fruit in its season. When we're connected to God's word, when we're studying it, when we're spending time daily, there is something that happens and Christ bolsters you in faith to the ground when things seem to be ripping the roof off of your house. That's what happens. John 15, throw that on the screen. John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because you are not of this world. I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. I must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see, fruitfulness is not just a byproduct of the Christian life. It's evidence of a genuine, genuine relationship with Christ. It's not just a byproduct. Are you growing? Are you becoming more like Christ every day? One of my favorite things to do when my friends come here to visit from the East Coast or the Midwest is to just like drive around, I guess, and they see the trees and they're like, that's the biggest tree I've ever seen. And it's true because it is the biggest tree they've ever seen. Just like, like the biggest trees I've ever seen are like right behind my apartment. And I'm just like, what in the world? Like it would not even take... Like a bulldozer would have a hard time tearing this, this thing down. And I imagine that's the kind of tree that God's talking about. Um, that's the kind of faith that God wants you to have. That's the kind of faith that God wants you to have. That's how God would describe you when you are staying faithful in his word and when you are bolstered in its truth. A tree that is planted by streams of water. Eternal life, eternal blessings. Look at this verse here, right? I've, I've said this a few times, but it bears its fruit in its season. I know you can hear sermons about the Bible, and sometimes you just kind of glance over Christian words like this, like, all right, in its season, fruitfulness in its season. Um, but a very basic principle from this passage, fruit takes time. Fruit takes time. If you're like, dude, if I need a lemon, because I'm a lemonade fiend, and I need my lemons, 
right? Anyone really want to raise their hand in the room? Any le- lemon lovers? All right, cool. Uh, just me? Fine. So if you're like, I, w- I need lemons. You can go get like 100 lemons at Safeway, like right now, and then you can just drive home. Um, that we, you couldn't do that 2,000 years ago. And you're like, what? What do you mean I can't do that, right? We live in a very interesting time in human history where we can have pretty much anything we ever want. You know, you and I, we live kind of better than kings and queens did even like 1,000 years ago. Um, we can have everything we want in like two seconds, but it takes time to grow fruit. Do you know where I'm getting at here? The Christian life is going to take time. The Christian life is going to take a little bit. Um, if you became, maybe you made a decision at camp where you're like, dude, I am going to return to the Father's house because I've been in the things of this world and I'm going back. And then you wonder why this week you're like, why is my life still just as hard, right? Because fruit takes time. And the enemy would love to convince you and say, man, you're not like an A-plus Christian right now, so like it's probably just totally not real. And that's not the reality. This is the reality, that the person who trusts in the Lord is like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit when? In its season. In its season. And the Christian life is a long time. If you live to 90 years old, you've got 90 years in your entire life to bear lots of fruit. But it takes time. It takes time to recognize and see what God is doing. You know, I was talking with Jocelyn a few weeks ago, and we were talking about planting a tree in our front yard. There's like this tiny space where we could plant a tree. And we were like looking up the climate zones. We're like, what tree can plant in Washington? Question mark. And it's like, no trees except for like pine trees. What? Um, so I was like, let's plant a lime tree. And Joe was like, that would be cool, except it's probably going to die. And two, we won't see its fruit for two and a half years. And I was like, it takes two and a half years to grow limes? The answer is yes. Actually, no, it's more than that. Lime tree, three to four years. Grapes, two to three years. A fig tree, three to five years. These are probably the most common things um, that this audience would have known about. It takes time. The Christian life is a long time. Don't be discouraged. Fruitfulness can take years. Um, sure, fruit takes time, but chaff is useless. Verse 4, it says, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. The Christian life may take a while, but it's better than living a life of uselessness. Watching the Lord change your life over years is going to be frustrating. There's going to be times where you're wondering if you're doing the right thing. But it is better than a life of sinfulness. It is better than a life of uselessness. It is better. Chaff is, it, it was the, the casing around seeds. So when harvesters would go into the harvest, they would toss this uh, grain into the air and they would try and get this like outer casing off of the seeds and literally throw it away. The wind would actually take it away. And that's how the Bible describes somebody who is not connected to the vine, who is not growing. They're like flying away in the wind in uselessness. Fruitfulness may take time, but it's better than living a life that doesn't matter at all. It's better than living a life that won't last. It's better than the fleeting passions of this world and the fleeting sinfulness of this world that will just bring you to the end of your life wondering, I wish I could have gotten so much more from it. Fruit takes time, but chaff is useless. For those who don't know their God, 
For those who don't know God, their foundation is not secure, their truth is not reality, and their plans will not succeed. Don't be so frustrated with the timing of fruitfulness that you settle for foolishness. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it at the end of the day. Yes, being a Christian and being in a Christian community is hard sometimes. So what we do often is we, we recognize that the life of a Christian takes a long time and the fruitfulness isn't always immediate. So we settle for the sinfulness, which is often very immediate and gratifying. We say, I oh, like being in a Christian community in a small group is hard and I'm just going to go to this party because I feel like those people accept me anyways, right? Uh, man, reading the Bible and praying, it just like takes a little bit to understand and I don't like it, but man, I'm getting a really quick fix from this substance that I'm going to. The reality is this, fruitfulness takes time, but foolishness and the things of this world uh, lead to death. So don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. In a world that celebrates foolishness, the life of a Christian will be shocking. The life of a Christian will look ridiculous. But know that wise is the person who meditates on the law of the Lord. They are like a tree planted by streams of water that will yield its fruit in season. A new house, right? A new friend group, more money. That's the world's game. And it's not going to satisfy. This text is saying we will thrive in our relationship with God when we meditate on his word. Now, I wish I could say that the passage ends on an encouraging note. It does, does, but the stakes are raised a little bit here. We're going to go from wisdom versus foolishness, fruitfulness versus futility. Finally, verses 5 and 6, we see the stakes are raised to the highest degree, and that's death versus life. Verses 5 and 6, it says, Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I wish I could say, hey, the Bible's so good and so is God, you should read it sometimes and close it, but that's not the reality of this passage. Um, the reality of this passage is there is a um, real spiritual life and death consequence that happens when we don't find ourselves connected to the vine. When we don't find ourselves connected to the one who gives us life, we will be separated with him in its entirety. Um, the psalm ends on a very serious note. Upping the stakes from just a blessed life here on earth, but to an eternal reality with the Lord. This is life or death. And um, I work here at the church with a guy named Isaac, who is a legend. He's somebody who fixes our building, and he's just a really great guy all around. And Isaac, apart from his already pretty stressful job, decided that he wanted to join the rescue squad for people who get lost on Mount St. Helens or Rainier and sometimes like Mount Adams, he will be helicoptered in and dropped off at like the side of the mountain to try and rescue someone who like fell and broke their leg. And I'm just like, dude, you do this to relax? And he's like, yeah, totally, it's awesome. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is horrible. And he says, every minute could be life or death, right? Imagine feeling like a little tired that morning and knowing, okay, I gotta keep going because this person might die. That's pretty serious. And I wish I could say, well, I don't wish. I wish I could tell you the truth, which is this. The Bible ends, or this passage of the scripture ends, the very serious note, that this is life or death. 
A relationship with God is life or death. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What does it mean to not stand in the judgment? God promises that at the end of all things, Jesus himself will judge the living and the dead. And when the righteousness, when it says that the, the, excuse me, when it says the wicked will not stand in the judgment, it means they're not going to survive the judgment. They won't be looked upon as favorable, but the righteous will be. Why? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The righteous will prevail in the judgment of God, but the wicked won't. Those who know Jesus as Lord will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven, and those who don't will not be. The Bible's clear on the consequences of sin that we commit. And a, a commentator I read this week says this. He made this point, and I, I, I liked it a lot. I think I, wanna, I was going to put it on the screen. And it says this. Jesus often talked about two ways. He spoke of two gates, one narrow gate leading to life, and one wide gate leading to destruction. He also spoke of two rows, two trees, two types of fruit, two houses, and two foundations. In each instance, the one brought life and blessing, the other brought death and sorrow. Psalm 1-6 summarizes the end of every life based on whether one followed the godly road or the ungodly road, the righteous road or the unrighteous road. Now, it's easy to sit here towards the end of the message and think to these words and think about these words, but the question we have to end on is, how can we be in the congregation of the righteous? It would be a lot to assume that just because we go to church or read the Bible, we're in the congregation of the righteous. It would be a lot to assume that because I've tried really hard, I'm sure God will like figure it out at the end of my life, and I'm sure I'll be a lot among the good guys, right? That's a lot to take on. That's a lot to assume. How can we know that we are in the congregation of the righteous and not in the seat of the scoffers or the fools? You see, the righteousness of God cannot be earned by following the law. The righteousness of God cannot be earned by following the law down to the T. The righteousness of God must be given to be in his congregation. And only his son can give you that. Only the one who puts their faith in Jesus can be in this congregation and withstand the final judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at that word there, the righteousness of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness is obtained through faith in Jesus. The one who has their faith in him will not perish. That's the reality. God's word leads us to the righteousness, excuse me, God's word leads the righteous to a fruitful life in his presence. That's the reality. God's word leads the righteous to a fruitful life in his presence. This isn't just a game of my life is a little better, I'm a little less sad. No, this is less, this is life or death. This is the reality of what the psalm is saying. Wisdom versus foolishness, 
fruitfulness versus futility, and death versus life. The good news of this is this, that God can give you righteousness, not because of any work you've done, not because of anything you said, but because of who you know and who you put your faith in. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful that um, in you, we know that we won't face the judgment. We won't have to uh, face the judgment, that you will uh, give us the righteousness that you promised through your son. Uh, I pray right now for the person in in the room who is um, back and forth. They feel like they want to know you and follow you, but they continue to dabble in the things of this world. I pray that you would remind them um, that in you there are blessings, and apart from you there's nothing. There's nothing good. There's nothing uh, even temporarily that can fix us. No, it's only always been you. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that in faith today. God, thank you, thank you that you, you made it very clear for very foolish people like us, um, very black and white. Um, it almost sounds dogmatic when we live in such a world, a world such as this, but it, it's truth, it's reality. It's life or death. It's light versus dark. It's sin versus righteousness. And God, thank you that you drag us almost despite ourselves into that congregation of the righteous. And I pray that we wouldn't be tempted to fall anywhere else. Um, help us to boast in you powerfully, to uh, rely on you in faith. And uh, Jesus, we pray all this in your precious name. Amen.